Welcome to Trauma-Informed Caring, an Essential Conversations podcast brought to you by the Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center, funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Although funded by SAMHSA, the content on this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. We have learned that well-being inspires well-doing. So we begin this episode as we begin all our episodes with a moment to ground and center ourselves as we get into our conversation today. So I invite you, whatever you're doing, if you're able to stop for a moment, take your attention away from whatever it is that you had your attention on and take a breath. And we've invited one of our guests today, Juan, to lead us in a brief grounding exercise. Thank you, Andrea. I will take you through a five senses to help remind you of the present. Um, it's named 54321. And really what it's asking you to do is to five, which is look, four, which is feel, three is to listen, two is to smell, and one is to taste. So if you'll go along with me, let's start by taking a deep belly breath to begin. So starting with number five. Look around for five things that you can see and say them out loud. Number four, feel. Pay attention to your body. Think of four things that you can feel and say them out loud. Three, listen. Listen for three sounds. It could be the sound of traffic outside. Say the three things out loud. Number two, smell. Say two things that you can smell, like bacon. And number one, taste. Say one thing you can taste. It may be the toothpaste from brushing your teeth this morning or the mint from the after lunch that you had. If you can't taste anything, then say your favorite thing to taste. Take another deep belly breath to end here. And thank you so much for joining me in 54321. Thank you, Juan. I'm Andrea Dalton. And I'm Roxanne Pendleton. And this is Trauma-Informed Caring. We are so excited to have our guests with us today from School Smart KC. I've had the honor of working with both of them on a, a learning collaborative project a few years ago and have maintained contact with them over the past few years and have really enjoyed learning from them and being engaged in dreaming about what might be what might be to come uh, in the Kansas City area uh, as it relates to trauma-informed caring and schools. And so we are excited to have them today. You heard one of them introduce uh, our, our session today with, you heard one of them introduce our grounding exercise for today. And so I'll invite our other guest to begin by introducing herself, Angelique, if you'd take just a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about School Smart KC as well. Sure. Thank you, Andrea, and good morning. Thank you for having us on. Um, I'm Angelique Nedved with School Smart KC, and excited to be here this morning. Uh, School Smart KC is a nonprofit based out of Kansas City, Missouri, and we are a collaborative funder. And 
Our goal, our mission that drives our work is to eliminate the achievement gap for students. And uh, we're excited about the work that we do. Uh, we have three main strategies that focus our work, starting smart, investing for success, and demanding quality. And I welcome my colleague Juan to join us in introducing himself. Thanks, Angelique. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Juan Rangel. I am the Director of Family Engagement. Um, in my day-to-day -day role, um, um, I have the opportunity really to remove barriers for students and families. Uh, Angelique had mentioned um, academic achievement is our goal. And so uh, in my role day-to-day -day is really to kind of make find ways to make sure that our students are able to achieve that. I'm excited to be with you today and happy to share the things that we get to do, both Angelique and I, in our work. Thank you both for being here. We are really excited about this conversation. As a reminder to our listeners, our goal here at the Trauma-Informed Caring Podcast is to explore varied perspectives. We want to nurture knowledge and inspire courage for practical transformative action. And this series is about trauma-informed caring leaders. And we define a leader is not just someone who's in a leadership role officially, uh, a management or supervisory role, but anyone who has influence in any sphere. And so we know you're all out there leaders, and we hope that today you will uh, get some inspiration for the life you're living and the work you're doing. So let's start out. We would love to hear a story about um, modeling, modeling the culture you wish to see. We have, we've seen, and we've we've seen the research that as go the leaders, so often goes the organization. And so, can you tell us a little bit about applying trauma informed principles in the way you live and work, and then modeling that, and or uh, creating communities where it can be modeled. Sure, I can take that one. The modeling component for us is so important as we work with our communities and our schools, and it's not something that we take lightly. So as we model how we set up uh, groups that we work with, we hope that the individuals that we sit down with and engage with are also uh, observing how we set up those structures. For example, in our partnership with three schools uh, that Andrea referred to and how we connected earlier, three schools came together with their leaders and we would set time in the schedule to sit down and really listen to what was needed regarding their trauma uh, needs with students and what they were hoping to achieve. So it's a lot of questioning, but more listening to what the story is behind their day-to-day -day experience with the students in the school, what they want to achieve, where their, where their pinch points are, so to say. Um, but then also helping them set up those structures with even calendaring some time to preserve and then sticking to those times to come together and, and giving people uh, the opportunity to share. I think sometimes when we don't, take a mindful step to put those dates in our calendar and preserve that space to have the conversation. It can feel like it's building up inside of us and we're not going to have an opportunity to share that out. And as we worked with the school leaders, they were able to express gratitude. We appreciate the time coming together 
and thinking about how we can address their needs. So I think a simple modeling strategy of calendaring it and protecting the time really gave our our leaders and our participating schools the space to share what their needs were. Angelique, that is a fantastic example. So you, you first showed them how to do it by doing it with them, and then you coached them through doing it and setting it up. And I'm wondering, did you get any surprise or any uh, feedback about teaching that it is a best practice or um, a trauma-informed practice to actually schedule time for listening? I think about all the things that might be on a leader's list, right? All the kind of tasks that they have to get done in any given day. And I'm thinking, is listening even, was it even in their, in their realm of, oh, this is a valuable thing? Tell us a little bit about how the leaders reacted to that. Great question. Uh, I don't believe we actually had that highlighted as an area that we were going to purposefully and specifically model or come to the realization that how important it was. It felt as a happy accident. And as we were continuing to schedule and project into the future, those preserved times and calendars and our dates in the calendar, it was a revelation as we continued to meet and leaders would share, you know, I feel so fulfilled walking away from the meeting because we had the preserved time and it wasn't a scramble to look for something in the calendar that would work for everybody. So again, back to that happy accident and a learning for all of us as we came out of that as a characteristic or an item to preserve moving forward as we continue to grow in the space and further the partnership, not take those small details lightly. Yeah, it makes me think about what we've learned in the field of trauma-informed caring, that everything is about relationships, that um, healing occurs in relationships, creating a sense of safety occurs in relationships, building trust occurs in relationships. It's like such a strange concept to literally schedule time for relationship building. And yet when you look at the brain science, you think about how the stress response is soothed when we feel safe and we can then utilize our the front part of our brain, you know, for our executive function, then it seems that being in a safe relationship might be one of the number one priorities uh, of leaders so that people around them can, can function well. I would agree with that. And, and speaking with my leadership hat on as a former school principal and district administrator, we don't have enough of those spaces to feel safe. And I remember distinctly a comment coming from one of the school leaders at the end of a session, she mentioned that it feels so good to know that somebody else shares this space with me. I feel alone sometimes when I'm in my building and I feel like I'm the only one who's experiencing these situations and these opportunities and challenges. So I appreciate your comment about that. It is uh, an area that we can continue to grow in to support our leaders. One of the other revelations, and I think I'll just kind of build on what Angelique said was that we, you know, we went in with the idea of our students and families in mind to help support them through trauma-informed care through a a school alliance. Uh, and and what we learned is that it wasn't just about the families and students that the teachers and the school leaders realized that they themselves needed to go through this process themselves. They needed to. They needed to learn to take care of themselves. How to be able to talk with themselves, give themselves that space. It's kind of like the um, 
that example, when you go on a plane, you know, they always talk about putting your mask on first before putting it on a child. Well, I think our teachers felt the same way. They needed to go through their own taking care of themselves before they could take care of the children that they were taking care of through the course of the day. And so, um, and that was a big revelation. You know, we had a lot of response from our teachers saying, this is, we needed this first before we could help our students and families go through this themselves. Yeah, I I remember some of those conversations having been part of a few of them and just the the ways that I think we don't always recognize our role in the community that we're in, in those those intersections that we have with, you know, in whatever role we're in, whether we're, you know, an educator with the students and the families or with each other. Um, And I'm thinking, too, just about how how stressful the school environment is oftentimes for educators because uh, you know like Angelique said like there's not always time or there's not always people that you can directly relate to because what you're doing maybe is unique in that building and some of those structures and things that we have in place just contribute to burnout and exhaustion and people leaving the field and you know we see that in healthcare too we're seeing that in lots of areas now, I mean, the stress of pandemic, of course, is layered on even more of that, I think. Um, so just curious if either of you have a, a comment maybe to add about that, too. Well, I, one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, I would bring up would be you go in and do professional development. It's with one school. In this alliance of three schools, what we started learning as well was that as different schools were talking with each other, they started kind of saying, oh, I have that too in my school. That that problem exists here. And so they were able to share in the experience. They weren't working just in silos. They were sharing experiences through three schools. So, and that kind of opened it up to be able to kind of bring that issue out in front and talk about it as a group and not just hold it in as one school or one person going through that. Juan, I love that you did that. And I, I think our listeners might like to hear more about the idea of having a community moving through this together, the idea of a learning community or a learning collaborative, where in your case, it was three schools, right? Who were implementing these concepts and principles. Tell us how, how did that either, in addition to what you've just shared, how did it um, support the work? Did it speed it up? Did it, did it uh, change it in some fundamental way? What is the benefit or was there any challenge of having a learning community working on these things together? Angelique, you want to take that? I think the benefit came from multiple ideas in the space, multiple experiences, and the individuals who would be part of our, our different meetings, whether it was leaders or teacher leaders or whole staff or even times with individual supports like Andrea, hearing the multiple experiences, similar in nature, but just a different set of characteristics, I think helped the leaders grow, the individuals participating to hear how other peers and their colleagues still in a school setting or still with families were adjusting. And that continues to grow your network of ideas and how to respond And I also think it builds community. Again, back to an earlier comment, when you hear how others are experiencing similar situations, it doesn't feel so lonely to you. And it 
strengthens a bond almost as a yes, we've gone through this too. How can I learn from you and how did you respond? And I think uh, the education profession in general is good at listening to each other and absorbing and taking that in, growing then almost like their toolbox of ideas and how to respond. Yeah, I think that's really great. I I feel like that's kind of a shift too, in some ways, because I think about you know, how schools, there's always like rivalry, like who's, who's better at whatever it is, whether it's sports or academics or a speech team or drama, you know, we have all these competitions and we're always trying to find out who's the best at things. And, you know, what I'm hearing you say is like, when we can build those connections, like we're all better and like how incredible that is as a perspective for, you know, growth for our our future for the those little biddies that are coming in the door that don't have any idea about all that stuff yet. I would say that really was a result, uh, a kind of result that came out of this process, a year-long process. You had three schools saying, hey, what if? There was a lot of what ifs. If we worked together, if we continued learning together, but then it was like, what if we did uh, like trauma-informed care for our parents? Uh, that are coming to our schools for our students, doing like a a 101 session. So um, before this uh, ugly thing called COVID came around, the plan was that the three schools were going to do a day-long session with their students and families and develop a resource fair. And they were going to provide different sessions for their parents to get a trauma-informed care 101 and understand what they had been through, but also the practices that they had in their school and really things that they could take home to the toolbox idea uh, that they could practice at home. So uh, yeah, that generation, that excitement that came from not working just in a silo, but working with three different schools um, was very exciting to them. I'll circle back around to the idea of, you know, just that characteristic of preserving the time Juan and I did not go into the project with the goal of having a family and community event because the space was protected for their thinking, their collaboration, their discussion, their brainstorming. They were able to arrive to that space of, oh, and how do we bring in our community now? Because we are learning so much. We want to continue to share that and build those bonds. Yeah, And I think one of the things that that just highlights is that trauma-informed caring trauma-informed care as a program. It's not just that. Um, It's really about how we as human beings on this planet can interact with each other and understand and have compassion. And uh, again, just like the circles out, the ripples out from those little bits of information, those drips, those drops of information that we share and that it's not just a not just a clinical thing it's not just something we only do if someone has disclosed trauma to us but it's something we do for everybody in order to create the opportunities for what's next so i think that kind of leads to my next question which is what what is next like what if what what are you, what have you been working on what are you what are you thinking of um kind of moving those things that you've learned from that collaborative forward. Uh, And especially from your perspective too, I think you have a really unique perspective as a funding collaborative, an idea collaborative that, you know, there's so much that happens in your space. 
that then ripples outward to all of the schools that you're working with. So I'll kind of pass it back to you to comment on some of those things. I think the opportunity is wide open here with this one year experience with the three schools. What it highlighted for us was a the power in collaboration and the learning collective, bringing schools together because ultimately we are all about our students achieving and leaving school ready to uh, move forward in a positive way that lets them enjoy a livelihood. And how do we do that together makes our community stronger. So the opportunity to continue and expand the work has been a conversation for Juan and I over the past two years. And the schools that were involved in that first session and cohort have expressed interest in moving forward in a phase two. But then how do we bring on uh, additional schools and have them experience the, the technical partnership with individuals like Andrea and her team and what does it look like to collaborate with a school across town and continue to learn and help our our children thrive. You know, we want school to be a joyous place for our students and ensuring that environment that's safe and allows them to thrive as well for our adults. We're seeing that take more and more of a front seat. So that makes me wonder about the other side. And I, this might be a little bit uncomfortable, my next questions or question, at least now, I would love to hear a story about how this work or the collaborative or what you've learned has helped with a challenge or a roadblock. Has it helped during this pandemic? Uh, If so, how, or perhaps uh, if you if you'd rather not talk about that specifically, can you tell us about something that you know maybe you planned that didn't work the way you expected and how you you know how you shifted? I think it would be helpful for listeners to know that this doesn't always go as smoothly or as planned, and yet the principles and practices help you adjust. And so, do you have any thoughts or stories, or can you tell us a little bit about something that didn't work? the way you expected <laughs> and what happened? Well, the pandemic, you know, we, yeah, you we didn't, didn't plan that. that. <laughs> no, not planned. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and of course, you know, at the point we were, I had mentioned the, uh, you know, family engagement uh, opportunity with the family. So, you know, we had to cancel that and that was kind of a bummer, but what we had the win there, we had uh, schools still willing to work together. Still our world is not, the same as it was prior to the pandemic. And so um, hopefully we'll get back to that point where we are able to, you know, these same schools are interested in staying connected and working together and that opportunity can still exist. Um, Since then, I can tell you that, um, you know, this is a loud, there's there's, uh, just a need, yelling, screaming for, this trauma-informed care within our schools. Uh, We're seeing the stress on the teachers, which I'll ask Angelique maybe to talk more to, but we are also seeing the stress on the students and their families as they're going back into a system. And of course, every week we see or we hear the shift in our systems of schools as well, you know? And, And so that screaming or that need uh, that and screaming is too, that's the wrong word, but the, 
there's such a need right now within our schools. And so we have heard from of our funding friends who say, what can we do? How can we do something together to support this? And so there are conversations that are going on currently to see what's the best approach. And so we've been able to share this approach on several occasions and uh, there really is a real liking to it. And so hopefully we will see more of this in the near future. And really it's a community effort. It's not just one collaborative fund, it's many that are working together to support all of our schools in our community. Thank you. I Yeah, it is inspiring and encouraging to know that even though something as devastating as a pandemic can come along and it doesn't remove, it doesn't knock you off the course, you're still seeking to do trauma-informed caring. In fact, maybe it underlines and highlights the need uh, because the pandemic has certainly been traumatic in a way that nothing we've ever experienced has. I wonder, have you had any resistance? I think the balance that I would encourage us to keep in mind and to have our community understand is that as school systems and as educators, we care deeply about academics, but we also care deeply about the social, emotional, uh, state, mental health, physical health of our students and helping the community understand that if we have children, our youth, our students, who are not in a safe place socially and emotionally, academics can't even be approached. So one and two need to be a precursor to three. One and two being, are you present? Do we know where you are? Two being your social, emotional, physical well-being, and three being academics. One and two set the stage for three. And I think sometimes three tries to move to the front of the line and the academics take center stage, but let's all give each other some grace and remember the health and well-being of each other before we demand too much out of the academics. Yeah, because ultimately, you know, what we know about what stress and trauma does to our health throughout the lifespan, like if we're not taking time to address that in, in very early ages, we're talking about like reducing lifespan, right? And like Mm -hmm. chronic health issues and things like that later on in life that, I mean, at that point, multiplication and (laughs) division, like may not be that important anymore. I mean, not that it's not important because clearly we need those skills to navigate our, our lives and our systems and uh, employment and those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that. The, you know, first, are you, are you here? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, are you present? I think both physically and mentally, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not able to stay present and focused, of course, you're not going to be able to get to the academics and then the social emotional wellness and and then the work. I, I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. And let's not forget about our adults in the system as well. Um, As a building leader, I remember thinking about, um, you know, the care of my staff and my colleagues now who are currently in that seat of building or district leadership and our dialogues now involve so much about them thinking about their staff and where their staff are 
socially, emotionally, um, physically, you know, how is their health? Because we know uh, for them to be present and successful back to the well-being is well-doing, our educators need to be in that same space and that level one and two before we can get to doing our job function well. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that applies in every role everywhere, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're all going to function better in whatever job we have in those responsibilities, whether they're like paid roles or volunteer roles or roles that are part of our lives. You know, parenting comes to mind for me, <laughs> um, as it often does, um, because that is a really important role that, that I have, uh, that many people also have. And we can't do well if we are not completely well. And we can for a while, right? Like I think we can, and I think I've talked about this probably in a previous episode in our last season, like you can go through the motions for a while, do pretty good. uh, But at some point it catches up with you and can be really rough and (laughs) eye-opening. I think what this is making, uh, is bringing to my mind is again, it circles back to time. We talked about the importance of protecting time so that you have that kind of sacred space, if you will, for listening. We've talked about protecting time to uh, come together as a community and learn and grow and plan and support one another. What I'm thinking of now is protecting time for well-being, even if that is simple as taking two or three minutes to do a five, four, three, two, one exercise, like Juan led us through at the beginning, even if that is something as simple as taking a walk up and down the hallway in between meetings or classes and doing some um, deep breathing exercises or some stretching, even if it's something as simple as protecting the time to acknowledge to yourself, I'm not okay today. And I'm, and I'm still going to function at the best of my ability. And and yet I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to use the extra energy it takes to pretend I'm going to accept with uh, self-compassion. I'm going to reach out to a teammate, let my teammate know um, that I'm struggling today and I'm going to get through the day. Uh, the best I can. Uh, it, to me, it comes back to this idea that has been woven through our conversation of time, protecting time for what is important. When the individuals in a, a system don't have to think about their safety, mm. that to me defines joy when their mind can be free from those heavy burdens of, am I safe here? Am I loved? And even more basic, am I hungry? Am I warm? Am I dry? Mm -hmm. But the classroom, you know, is so important as educators. We want to ensure that our students feel joy in that space so they are free to learn and feeling safe in a consistent space uh, comes to mind as the prerequisite for joy to thrive. I think that aligns so well with some of the research we've been looking at with positive childhood experiences and the protective factor that that provides, even in the midst of adverse childhood experiences, whatever those are, whether they're, you know, the 10 things on the ACEs list or the the things happening in our world and our environments, in our communities, those protective factors of joy in relationship and being cared for, so important. And I think we've kind of said it in different ways, but it's kind of that Maslow hierarchy of need, right? And and it's kind of that building block. I think what Angelique referenced, you know, is we cannot self-actualize or in our world, we cannot get, you know, good attendance at schools or 
achievement in schools if those basic needs are not taken care of. Housing, mental health, trauma, food insecurity, those things are critical to continue moving up that that home environment, the love that they need. Those things aren't there, then we are not going to hit that soon achievement that we're looking for. Wow, what a fantastic conversation we have had today. Uh, We want to pull three key points. Uh, The first that really resonated for us was this concept of time. It's important for trauma-informed caring leaders to take time to make time, time for building relationships that create safety, that grow trust, that soothe the stress response. Time spent doing that is time well spent. The importance of taking primary time to, to soothe your own stress response and the importance to protect time for learning communities to come together, time where we can support one another, time where we can be challenged to grow as we learn from one another, time where we can collaborate to create new things so that we can reach more people. Uh, Just the whole concept of intentionally making time, taking time, and protecting time. And then the second concept we want to highlight today is joy um, and valuing joy as an important component of life, really, and also of our schools, of our educational systems. And when we take the time, I would say, to uh, to infuse joy, to ensure joy for our children and for our colleagues, for our communities, uh, that is protective against the really challenging outcomes and impacts of trauma and stress. So, wherever we can, even in the midst of really difficult circumstances, uh, how do we, how do we define joy? How do we find joy? How do we create joy? How do we highlight joy? Yeah. And then the third thing is about uh, what's most important. And the first most important thing is, are you here? Are you present? And the second is, are you socially, emotionally, and physically okay? And then we get to even be able to engage with the third, which is the work, whether it's academic work, whether it's professional work, whether it's at work in any context. First, are you here and present? Second, are you okay? And then third, the work. So we thank our guests today, Angelique and Juan. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Real yes, pleasure. And we invite our listeners to learn more about the Mid-America ATTC on our website. You can also see our previous episodes of Trauma-Informed Caring there. And we invite you also to check out our virtual room of refuge, where you can find a variety of support for your own well-being, access to our YouTube channel, and you can also subscribe to our newsletter, Conscious Connections, there. Thanks for joining us. It is our hope that where you work and where you live, this podcast will offer you practical support for the practice of trauma-informed caring. 